0: Well, good morning, and uh, thank you so much for uh, for tuning in again. Let me just let me just declare that He is risen. I am going to wait for you to say it. He is risen indeed. Um, I want to thank uh, Pastor Jared who delivered the word for us on uh, Good Friday. I want to thank Jordan who um, this morning did a great job of preparing our hearts for worship uh, with some great music. And I want to thank you for being here, uh, being a part of this live stream this morning. <clears throat> and I want to just in advance, um, just thank you for your uh, for your patience with me. I've got some allergies here uh, that I'm dealing with, a lot of throat clearing and all of that going on. And uh, hopefully that's not going to be too much of a distraction. You can pray for me uh, as I deliver the word uh, this morning. But uh, if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and get them and turn them with me to the book of Psalms. <clears throat> Uh, That's uh, in the middle of your Bible, uh, the easiest book in the Bible to find, and uh, we're in Psalm 23 this morning, Psalm 23. And I entitled this sermon, Peace in a Pandemic, because I think that's something that God wants his people to experience in a pandemic. He wants us to experience peace, which you might think is absolutely outrageous. How can somebody have peace in a situation like this? And really, there's only one way. And, and that's that's for us to stop looking at Fox News or CNN or your favorite uh, talk radio host uh, to stop listening to all the other voices that are speaking to you, including your own, and instead look to God and gaze on him and hear his voice uh, in the scriptures. You don't need to, you need to know all there is to know about COVID-19. You don't need to know the latest news. You don't need to know the, the, all the death statistics as much as you need to know God, uh, to know him deeply and richly and intimately, to know his character and to hear him carefully. And to the degree that we are viewing uh, the reality, uh, the reality of God and and the reality of who he is in relationship to his people is the degree that we can experience peace in a pandemic and and peace in any situation where things seem to be falling apart around us. And Psalm 23 provides help with that. Um, What also helps is, is knowing that this Psalm is not written by some guy who had an easy sheltered life, but who, can, uh, who has experienced a level of intensity and pain that most of us can't even identify with really. Uh, we don't know exactly when David wrote this Psalm, but at whatever point in David's timeline you land, most of those points are surrounded by the threat of death or betrayal or relational stress and breakdown, or harassment from enemies, or from a host of other incredibly difficult challenges and situations that required uh, great wisdom. So David is writing Psalm 23, uh, not as some uh, naive pie in the sky idealist who knows nothing about the nitty gritty of life. He knows the sorrow of life in a broken world, but he also knows something else, something that can provide great peace and comfort and stability even in the darkest of moments. And so as you on this Easter morning, come to this sermon bringing your own heavy weights and cares and concerns, I pray that the Holy Spirit inspired wisdom of David is gonna give you an incre- increased sense of peace and confidence and even joy in the middle of what you're going through. So let's look together now at Psalm 23. We're gonna read the whole chapter, Psalm 23. David writes, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil, for you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray. Father, on this Easter morning, as we celebrate the resurrection of Christ, I pray that you will bless this time together that you will bless the collective meditation uh, that we do on your word, that you'll bless the the exposition of the word, that you'll bless the hearing of your word, that everyone who is uh, listening, watching this broadcast this morning, would receive uh, food for the soul from heaven through your word and may walk away encouraged and refreshed and strengthened. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there's so much in Psalm 23. I could do a, a series for several weeks on Psalm 23. Some of you probably like that, but but I'm not going to do that. Uh, I won't be able to unpack everything there is to unpack in this chapter, but I do want to hit uh, several import, important highlights, four things, four great truths that David shares about God in Psalm 23 that gives us peace and strength and encouragement and hope. The first thing that he wants us to know about God is the shepherd's personal care. The shepherd's personal care. In verse one, David says, the Lord is my shepherd. Now, some of us have read this Psalm so many times uh, that it just becomes familiar and and we just don't, and and the words of the Psalm just kind of wash over us and it doesn't grip us like it should. And, and, and one, another reason why this psalm doesn't hit us the way that it should is because we are 21st century suburbanites, and most of us know nothing of sheep and shepherds. But even so, if I asked any of you if you could be any kind of animal, what would you be? What would you identify with? You kids who are watching at home right now. If you could be any kind of animal, what would you want to be? I'm just going to pause a few seconds, kids. I'm going to let you think about that and tell your parents. What kind of animal would you want to be? Now, I wouldn't be surprised if some of you said a lion or an eagle or something like that. But I have a feeling that not many of you, probably not any of you said, I want to be a sheep. Sheep are not the most awe inspiring animals in the world. You're never going to find a football team whose helmet has a picture of a sheep on the side of it. There's nothing amazing or awe inspiring or intimidating about a sheep. What's more, as one writer put it, sheep are dumb, dirty, defenseless, utterly helpless, and <laughs> dependent. Uh, sheep can't clean themselves, they get lost easy. They wander into danger, and if they encounter a wild animal, they have zero defense mechanism. In fact, if a sheep ends up on its back, it may never be able to get back up. (laughs) Some, Some animals are a danger to others. Sheep are a danger to themselves, and they will kill themselves on their own because they can't care for themselves. They don't have the competency to care for themselves. But here is the punchline, my friend. Who does the sheep represent? You. Uh, throughout the Bible, God's people are seen as, as sheep. This is a reoccurring motif, reoccurring imagery in the scriptures, and it's not a flattering picture. But ultimately, it is a picture that is good news, because if you are a sheep, that means you have a shepherd. Now, when we think of shepherds, uh, again, uh, it's hard for us uh, 21st century suburbanites here to, to connect with that When you think of a shepherd, don't think of the caricature uh, of what you see in a typical children's Bible where you get this picture of young David, and he is in this beautiful idyllic field. He's just leaning back under a tree in the shade, and he is idly just strumming on his harp, and he's just relaxing all day long. He is taking it easy, and he is surrounded by smiling sheep. That's the picture that sometimes we have of shepherds. That's a completely inaccurate picture. Because sheep were so unintelligent and so defenseless and so high maintenance, being a shepherd was hard work day and night. Guiding the sheep and thinking for the sheep and organizing the sheep and cleaning the sheep and protecting the sheep and tending to the sheep's wounds, shepherds did not have a soft and easy life. They were tough and they were rugged. They were warriors and leaders exercising wise authority over their flock. They were anything but wimps. In fact, I find this really interesting. In First Samuel chapter 17, when young David offers to take on the giant Goliath and King Saul, he balks at that, right? He says, you can't do that. You're barely out of boyhood. And this tank of a Philistine over there, this giant, he's been... He's been fighting since he was a boy. And what's David's response? David says to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. He he tells Saul, listen, I'm a shepherd. And when a lion or a bear came and stole a sheep, I went after it, I grabbed it, I knocked his teeth out and delivered my sheep. I killed the lion and the bear. I'll do the same thing to this Philistine. And Saul's response, what's Saul's response there? Shepherds are wimps, whatever. No, no, he's like, okay, go. And the Lord be with you. And and here, David, an ex-shepherd and a warrior and a king, here he humbles himself and he sees himself as a sheep. And he says in verse one that the Lord is my shepherd. This warrior king, the Lord, this wise leader, Yahweh, this, this sovereign being, Uh, who is uh, the ruler of the cosmos. He has authority over the universe. This great God, he's not just a shepherd. David says he is my shepherd. That is striking language because the Bible regularly places a strong emphasis on God's relationship uh, with the people of God corporately as a group. But David here does not say that the Lord is our shepherd. Or the Lord is Israel's shepherd. And he would have been right to say those things, but here he says, the Lord is my shepherd. Charles Spurgeon thought that the sweetest word in Psalm 23 was the word my. You see, it does me no good to know that there is a shepherd out there somewhere. I need to know that he's my shepherd, that he's with me, that he's for me, that he's helping me. And here's the good news. If you are God's, you can say this with David. You can say that God is your shepherd. And you really need to let that sink in, especially if sometimes you feel so small and so unimportant and you think, you know what? There are so many more significant people in the world, right? There are so many big problems in the world, much bigger than what is happening in my little world. Why would God pay attention to me? Why would he notice me? But, but when we think like that, we're acting like we don't have a good shepherd because a, a good shepherd knows the little traits and quirks and needs of each one of his individual sheep. He, he cares for them one by one. He names them and he knows them by name. He knows that this one walks with a limp, that this one has a nick in his ear, that this one's very, very nervous all the time. And his care for them is detailed and personal. And that's what your shepherd is like. That's what your God is like. He's not aloof, he's not distant from you. You don't have to worry about getting lost in the crowd. Uh, Second Timothy 2.19 says that the Lord knows those who are his. He understands you personally. He understands what you're going through. He understands your troubles, your sins, your doubts, your fears. He he understands uh, right now your anxieties about COVID-19, about the financial strains that it's causing in your life. He, he knows your physical weaknesses. He knows your spiritual weaknesses. He knows the particular sins that you are prone to. He knows the sins you committed this week. He knows the ones you committed this morning. He knows all of those things, and he loves you anyway, and he is totally committed to your good and ministering to you personally. It's not like some of his sheep gets, get, a lot, get a lot of attention, and some don't. Uh, God. God God is not just committed to shepherding the flock collectively, but he's committed to shepherding you personally. That means you're never alone. Uh, Paul in 1 Timothy 4 experienced this. He said, uh, he was going through a tough time, and he said that all deserted me, but the Lord stood by me and strengthened me. Uh, Jesus in Matthew 28 says, I am with you always. God doesn't just see you as another number in a sea of generic faces. He is concerned for every individual in his flock. He's concerned for you. And so whatever you're going through right now, he cares, he's working, and he's loving you, and he's personally shepherding you. But not only do we see here the shepherd's personal care, we see uh, the shepherd's faithful provision. David says that the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. In other words, what he's saying there is, I have everything that I need." Now, much of our personal anxiety comes because we are afraid that our needs will not be met. But David here speaks a word to counter our fears as he expresses confidence that the shepherd God is going to provide everything that he needs. And of course, the theme of God as a faithful provider is a common one in the Bible. In the New Testament, Jesus tells us in Matthew 6, not to be anxious about food and clothes. Why? is because because your father knows that, that we need these things and he's going to care for his children. And right after that, he says, so seek first the kingdom of God and all of these things will be added to you. Ultimately, what you need is bound up in kingdom purposes and doing God's will and glorifying God and, and everything that you need in your pursuit of God, Jesus is saying, everything you need while, while, while you're pursuing uh, the, the 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 purposes of the of the kingdom, uh, everything you need in fulfilling kingdom purposes in you will be added to you. So, whatever whatever clothes you need today to glorify and serve God and fulfill His kingdom purposes, He's going to give that to you. Whatever food that you need for today, uh, whatever He's going to provide that for you. Uh, whatever money you need to do, whatever God has called you to do in fulfilling kingdom purposes, it's gonna make sure that you have that today. Uh, Jesus goes on to tell us in Matthew seven that God is a good father and that whenever we ask him for anything, God always responds by giving his children not everything that they want. I mean, parents, you parents out there, if you gave your child everything that your child wanted, your child wouldn't even be alive right now. God doesn't promise to give his children everything they want and thank God for that, but he does promise that whenever his children ask for something, he will always give them good things. He will always give you exactly what you have asked him for or something better because he's a good father and a good shepherd. David goes on to write in the psalm that he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. This also speaks to the shepherd's care and provision of his sheep because sheep don't don't lay down in the pasture unless all of their needs are met and, and they, they know that they're absolutely safe. Only then will a sheep lay down and rest and be still and be content. And likewise, our confidence and trust of, of God's provision for us in all things, and all circumstances, yields the fruit of peaceful contentment. Now, what does that look like? What does is, what is trust in the shepherd's provision look like practically? Well, in the New Testament, Paul writes this in Philippians 4.19. He says, He says, my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now that's an incredible promise about God's provision, but what does that mean? It doesn't mean that, it doesn't mean what some TV preachers say that it means. It it doesn't mean that God's going to give you a fat bank account and unlimited wealth and a life of ease. We know that because Paul himself was a man who probably suffered to a greater degree than most of us and, and certainly more than wealthy televangelists. Uh, Paul is a man who has been beaten. He has been shipwrecked. He's been hunted by assassins. Uh, as, he, as he writes the book of Philippians, Paul is in prison. He's in chains. He's suffering for the gospel. And yet at the same time, uh, Paul is boasting about a God who supplies every single need that his people have. He's writing that from prison. He has confidence in a shepherd who takes care of his own, and he's he's confident that God's sheep lack no good thing. Paul, in jail, believes this to be true. Paul, even in his suffering for the gospel, would never say, God's not meeting my needs. In fact, throughout the whole book of Philippians, despite his, his past sufferings and despite his current sufferings as he's writing the book, Nevertheless, joy is a theme that comes up over and over and over again throughout Philippians. Now why? What's, what's Paul's secret? Well, just a few verses prior to Paul's declaration that God meets all of our needs according to his glorious riches. He says in Philippians 4.11, "'Not that I'm speaking of being in need, "'for I have learned in whatever situation I'm in "'to be content.'" So that's that's interesting. Evidently, the opposite of need is not having a lot of stuff. And it's not having everything you want or even everything that you think you need. Paul instead is showing us that the opposite of being in need is being content in Jesus. He says in verse 12 of Philippians 4, I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger abundance and need Paul says I've been through all, I've been through all of these kinds of things good and bad and from them all I've learned one important thing he says I can do all things through him who strengthens me that that's the secret Paul knows that whatever situation that he is in, God will not abandon him. God will not leave him. God will strengthen Paul to do whatever it is that God has called him to do in his pursuit of kingdom purposes. Even if God has called him to be hungry, even if God has called him to be in jail, He's not gonna be defeated by those circumstances, but instead can live in those circumstances to the glory of God and the abundant provision of the strength of God, who is his shepherd. You see, Paul knew that if all he had, if all he has is God, then he already has all he needs and more. You see, God doesn't promise removal of difficult circumstances. He actually promises something better, which is an abundant supply of grace Uh, from him in all things to handle anything, and therefore Paul and you can be totally free from angst over the present and fear over the future, and you can instead be at peace, be content, and even rejoice. That's that's why Habakkuk says in Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 17 through 19, though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, The produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like a deer's. He makes me tread on the high places. See, Habakkuk learned the same secret that Paul learned. Namely, that he can't bank his hopes for peace and security and joy in the things of this world that will ultimately fail. Uh, to, To have peace in the pandemic doesn't mean assurances that everything in the pandemic will go your way. Instead, it means to bank your hope on the God of your salvation who is your strength, who empowers you to move forward in contented hope regardless of everything else that's happening around you, because you can trust in his provision. So you can lose everything, but but in God, you have something that is infinitely greater. Habakkuk knew that. Paul knew that. David knew that. God wants you to know that also. He wants you to know the essence of what David wrote in another Psalm, in Psalm 34, where he says, Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. Those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. In other words, those who seek... The kingdom of God first and his righteousness. You may say, well, that's all well and good, Deamer, but but what if things get really, really bad? What if the worst thing that I have ever feared comes true? Then what? Well, that leads to my third observation, my third point on this text, where David wants us to realize and understand the shepherd's protection. The shepherd's protection. The peaceful scene uh, in verse 3 of Psalm 23 gives way to something darker in verse 4. David writes that even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Now, the valley of the shadow of death, that could be translated the valley of deep darkness. However, However you want to translate it, it's pretty bad. Uh, Valleys were often dangerous places for a flock of sheep. You never knew if there was a pack of wolves just around the corner or a bear or a lion, which were roaming around in ancient Palestine. Uh, There could be bandits and other dangers lurking in the shadows. The worst nightmares of the sheep would happen in those dark valleys. And David is saying even when I walk in the deepest, darkest valley, even when the worst of all scenarios is hanging over my head, even when death is casting a shadow over me, even then I will fear no evil. Now, that word evil isn't necessarily referring to moral evil, but just just calamity, calamity in general, horrible calamity, like a pack of lions ambushing the sheep in a dark valley, like COVID-19, like whatever your worst nightmare is coming true. David says, even in the face of that, I won't be afraid. Now, now wouldn't you like to be like that? Wouldn't you like to fear nothing, not even death itself? And what's the secret to that kind of boldness and confidence? Why does David fear no evil? He tells us why. He says, I will fear no evil because you are with me. The one who walks this valley with him is none other than Yahweh, the Lord of all. And if the Lord is with you, if he is walking right by your side in the valley, whom shall you fear? Notice carefully, this psalm is not promising you a life free from darkness. David here is in the valley of the shadow. He's in the thick of the deepest darkness. Following God isn't all rainbows and unicorns. Sometimes the shepherd takes you into hard places and dark places and scary places. But the reason you don't fear evil is not because you won't experience it. Instead, you don't fear evil because if the all-powerful and all-sovereign shepherd is walking with you right by your side, evil never has the final word in your life. When the the shepherd is by your side, the warrior shepherd is by your side, evil never ultimately wins, even if sometimes it seems like it. Case in point from the Bible, Joseph. Joseph. God loved loved Joseph and had a wonderful plan for his life, right? And we read in the book of Genesis that at age 17, Joseph ends up being betrayed by his brothers. Why? Because they hated Joseph and they wanted to stop God's good plans for Joseph from coming to pass. We'll see what becomes of his dreams, they say as they toss him in the the well. And so they, they, they attacked him, they sold him into slavery. And after being a slave for a time, Joseph then was later sent to a dungeon for years for a crime he didn't commit. And he was there until the age of 30. And if I were Joseph, I could easily see myself thinking some wonderful plan. This is ridiculous. What's God doing? Maybe he's not a good shepherd after all. Maybe he doesn't love me after all. Maybe he has abandoned me. I think that would be a temptation for many of us to think in that way. And and from a human perspective, or should I say from a sheep perspective, using our sheep sense, none of it seems right. And it seems like we could have done a better job writing the story than God. That we could lead ourselves through the paths of life better than God can. And yet... In the midst of Joseph's years of darkness, we get occasional reminders in the story that God is with Joseph through it all, every step of the way. And because of that, in time, all of those difficult circumstances Joseph endures becomes the means of his elevation to power, becoming second only to the king in a position to save thousands of lives, including his family. And Joseph, at the end of all, turns to his brothers and, and said, God has been in this all along, guys. And what you meant for evil, God meant for good. You see, what the brothers didn't know is that the evil, the calamity that they brought upon Joseph in their attempt to thwart God's plans for Joseph was actually also part of God's plan for Joseph to exalt Joseph to power and save many lives. You see, the hands of his evil brothers that were lifted against God and against Joseph turned out to be the hands that God would use to serve him and serve Joseph. That's what that's what the protection of God ultimately looks like in your life. When God is with you, when he is for you, and when he's on your side, everything that is coming into your life, everything, good things and bad things, COVID-19, financial collapse, persecution, attacks from the devil himself, everything that is coming into your life, Paul triumphantly declares in Romans 8.28 that God works all of those things together for the good of those who love him. That's why Paul writes a couple of verses later in Romans 8.31, what shall we say to these things? If God's for us, who in the world can be against us? And only when you begin to realize that truth and it seizes your heart, Only then can you begin to identify with David in the valley of the shadow, where he says, I don't fear evil. You're right here with me. You're protecting me. You're fighting for me. You're making sure that calamity uh, does not fully and finally sweep me away, but actually serves me by fulfilling God's purposes for me. And this is why, by the way, the psalmist can joyfully sing in Psalm 112, Blessed is the man who fears the Lord. He is not afraid of bad news. That's one of my favorite verses in the Psalms. Some of you are terrified of bad news, whether it's news on the TV or whether it's bad news just coming into your your own life. But those who fear God have nothing more to fear. The psalmist says he is not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. His heart is steady. He will not be afraid until he looks in triumph on his adversaries. Notice, by the way, in in Psalm 23, that that David is not staying in the valley of the shadow. He's just walking through it. There's, There's something better waiting for him on the other side. David says in verse five, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Here, the image of shepherd turns into an image of God as lavish host. Enemies of David can't hurt him. All they can do is watch as the host lavishly pours out provision upon David. It's an image of abundance of provision and grace and blessing being poured out upon David. And his enemies are on the outside of this feast looking in. When the Lord is your shepherd, when the Lord is your host, even when you are going through a dark time, even when you have enemies, even when death itself threatens you, you are safer than you think you are. God is utterly committed to doing you good. And that leads to my next and final observation. And that is the shepherd's pursuit. The shepherd's pursuit. Talked about the shepherd's Uh, personal care. We've talked about the shepherd's provision. We've talked about the shepherd's protection. And here is the shepherd's pursuit. We see that when David says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. That word follow is better translated pursue. Uh, It's used elsewhere in the Old Testament to describe the pursuit of enemies in battle. But here we see God as pursuing, not to strike down in battle, but to richly bless you with goodness and mercy you need to know that you need to know that if you're a christian god is out to get you in a good way he is hot on your trail and you can't shake him you can't get away from him you can't outrun him he's absolutely determined to shower rich blessings of grace on you every day but notice that god's goodness and mercy goes beyond this life david says i shall dwell in the house of the lord forever. In other words, if you belong to the Lord, this goodness and mercy and love and care and provision and protection, all of these things will go on for you forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. This is never going to stop. But how how can we be sure about that? how can we know that there is not going to come a point where his good pursuit of us will stop how do we know that god won't get just tired of us and just let us go how how can how can it uh, be possible that That we who are sheep, who often stray, who run from our shepherd, uh, who are so stubborn and we make the same stupid mistakes over and over again, commit the same stupid sins over and over again, how can it be possible that someone as rebellious and messed up as me and you, uh, how can we confidently say and believe and know that we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever and that his pursuit of us will never end? I'll show you how. John chapter 10. John chapter 10 reveals to us the identity of the divine shepherd of Psalm 23. Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. I'm the good shepherd. David was a warrior shepherd and he had the courage and commitment to charge a lion or bear and knock its teeth out for the sake of his sheep. That's impressive. That's what a shepherd does. But David's greater son, the Lord Jesus Christ, achieves an even greater feat for his sheep for you. And Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. See, you and I are like sheep in many ways, but not in every way. Sheep are innocent, we aren't. In the very beginning, the devil, whom the Bible describes as a devouring beast, a lion. From the very beginning, this devil has sought to destroy us, and he knew the way to destroy us would be to separate us from the shepherd. And he convinced us that we didn't need a shepherd. And we knew that we knew what was best and, and we could go our own way and we could be just fine. And so we raised our fist against God and we refused to listen to him. And the Bible says that the price for our sinful rebellion is death. It's, it's an eternal hell where we will suffer forever apart from the kindness and provision and protection of the shepherd. But from the very beginning, Jesus already had his eye on a people, on a flock that he would rescue from the mouth of the lion and this flock he would make his own. But the only way he could do that would be through paying the price for our sin in our place. And so Jesus came from heaven to earth and he walked into the valley of the shadow of death. And he was nailed to a cross for the sins of his people. And on the cross, all the wrath that we sinners deserve was put on him. You see, we were sentenced to execution, but he stood in our place. And, and let the judgment fall on him so that all who believe in him can walk away free. Jesus didn't deserve it. He was the only innocent man who ever lived. And yet he was mocked and he was ridiculed and he was betrayed by one of his closest friends and his, and his enemies who conspired against him for years. Uh, finally, uh, all, all of their evil plots and plans came together and they, and they came together to destroy him. And, and on a Friday 2,000 years ago, his bloody and bloated body was hanging on a cross and then taken down from that cross. And on a, on a Saturday 2,000 years ago, his corpse laid in a tomb, cold, flatlined, and his followers mourned. If anybody must've felt like they were in the valley of deep darkness, it was his disciples. If anyone must've questioned the wisdom of their heavenly shepherd, it was them. This was not how it was supposed to go down, according to them. This was not how they would have written the script. This was not how their sheep sense said that things should go. And so it seemed to them that evil had the last word, but they forgot something. They weren't paying attention. Yes, Jesus said that the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep, but let's not have selective hearing. Let's hear what else he said. He also said, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. Evil and calamity never has the last word for the people of God. And on a Sunday, 2,000 years ago, up from the grave, he rose again. Since, therefore, the children share in flesh and blood, the author of Hebrews says, he himself likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil and deliver all those who through fear of death were, in su- were subject to lifelong slavery. This Jesus, this shepherd went into the valley of the shadow of death, and he knocked the teeth out of the devil. And he knocked the teeth out of death. And he did it to save his sheep. He not only died as our substitute, but he conquered death as our substitute. And so now death has lost its sting. The thing that sent in, uh, sentenced us to death, our sin has been dealt with. And so now all who believe in Jesus, who repent of their sins and trust in him may go into the valley of the shadow of death. We we all die, should Christ tarry, but we don't stay in that valley. We pass through that valley safely to the other side, just like Jesus. And therefore, we will fear no evil. If you're a Christian, you can claim with confidence the promises of Psalm 23. Psalm 23 is is meaningless, empty words apart from Easter Sunday. But because... but, But the empty tomb is the sign that the empty tomb is the guarantee of the shepherd's care and provision and protection in this life and, and the promises of pursuing goodness and mercy. Paul writes in, in Romans eight thirty two that if he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how then will he not also with him graciously give us all things? In other words, how will he not also give us everything that we need in this life? but not only will he give us everything we need now in this life but we can also be sure of the promise that his sheep will dwell in the house of the Lord forever uh, into eternity in heaven at the at the father's side where psalm 16 says there is fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore that's what's on the other side of the valley of the shadow through many tribulations you must enter the kingdom of god but it's coming uh, you can be sure of all of these things that they're going to happen because Jesus bought all of those things with his blood and confirmed it with his resurrection from the dead. And the price he paid for you was way too high for him to let you go. So Jesus says in John ten twenty six that my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand." Once you belong to Jesus, once you're a part of his flock, you are his forever. Are you saying, Demer, uh, uh, are, are, are are you trying to tell me that once you're saved, you're always saved? That is exactly what I'm saying, because that's exactly what Jesus is saying. He gives his sheep eternal life, that's salvation. He says that they'll never perish. You know what that means in the Greek language? It means they'll never perish. Wording actually is even more forceful uh, in the in in the Greek, and he says nothing will steal a sheep away. No beast, no predator, no circumstance, no devil, no sin that you commit, no power in the universe can snatch the sheep from the hand of the shepherd because he's a good shepherd. And if you're his, he'll never leave you or forsake you. Well, well what if I mess up? What 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 if I what if I what if I stray? He, he's a good shepherd. You can't outrun him. And he catches his sheep every time and he puts their feet back on the proper path. Don't doubt his commitment to you. Don't doubt his commitment to you. In fact, if you're still in Psalm 23, back up to verse three. This this verse often is overlooked. I'm not gonna overlook it. David says, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. How committed is God to you? Uh, How committed is God to his sheep? He is, he is as committed as he is to his own name. And there is no way that he will allow himself and his name to be dishonored by losing a single sheep. He will get more glory by saving every single one of them. Every single sheep is eternally safe in the arms of Jesus. Indeed, Jesus says uh, as much in John 6, he says, all that the father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I'll never cast out. I will lose nothing of all that he has given me and raise them up on the last day. Therefore, you can declare with David, surely goodness and mercy will follow me, will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. If you're going through a difficult time, I want you to be encouraged by knowing you have a good shepherd who watches over you. The Lord is your shepherd. His care for you is personal. He knows you by name. He he cares about and is involved in every detail of your life. He provides for you. He'll make sure that you lack no good thing. Even in the midst of your trial, he protects you. Uh, he, even as you're walking through that dark shadowy valley, you don't have to be afraid because he's right there with you. And he pursues you to, to do you good. And, and his care for you, his goodness and mercy towards you will never, ever stop. And if that were not good enough, one day you will meet your shepherd face-to-face. Final book of Revel, the final book of the Bible, Revelation says this in chapter 7, verses 15 through 17. Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the, on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, nor thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. He will guide them to springs of living water. and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. What a good shepherd we have, friends, and what a great God we have. So how do we respond to all of this? Well, if you're a believer, I want you to worship God with a glad and thankful heart. I want you to meditate on your shepherd uh, I want you to, to ask God to calm your fears and your anxieties. Ask him to shepherd you today and in the days ahead and whatever you're going through. He's here for you. He's available for you. Trust the shepherd. If you're not a believer, I'm first of all, I'm really glad that you have joined us today. It's through the providence of God that you're here. And he wants you to hear this. Know that the beautiful promises of Psalm 23 don't apply to unbelievers. If you're an unbeliever, it doesn't apply to you. But but these promises can apply to you, if you would but turn to him. When David says in verse one, that the Lord is my shepherd, it's not just a statement of fact, it's a statement of faith. The Lord is my shepherd. He's saying, not, not all the other false gods out there, only in the Lord will I trust, only in the Lord uh, will I follow. And friend, if you too would turn away from the false gods of this world, putting your hope in the gods of health and wealth and prosperity and sinful pleasures, especially the God that you see in the mirror, and instead turn to God in faith, trusting in the sacrifice of Jesus, the good shepherd to pay the price for for sins and trusting in the path of the shepherd, which means following in his way instead of your own. Jesus is my sheep, hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. If that's you, If you hear the voice of the shepherd, then follow him and join the flock of God as we together walk over hills and through valleys to our eternal destination, the house of the Lord, where we will dwell forever. If you think you might be hearing his voice and you want to follow him, you want to know more about him, make a comment in the box below, and someone from our church will reach out to you. Uh, We'll be so delighted to talk with you more about this wonderful shepherd who never leaves and never forsakes his sheep. He is good. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this good word from Psalm 23, like food for the soul. Indeed, we have feasted on your word, and I pray that you would help us to be satisfied in it uh, throughout the day as we continue to reflect and meditate upon Easter and its meaning. Thank you that you're a good shepherd and that we can trust you all the days of our life and into eternity. In Jesus' name, amen.